Hello, everyone, and welcome to Opera After Dark. It's too much pressure. It's time for the Can I address that that is like excellent pump up music before pump up music was a thing? Yes, yes. You can address that. Would you like to elaborate on that or is that it? Uh, I mean, there's not so much about it. I just wanted to mention that that, like, that gets me amped. Gets you amped? Mm-hmm. Cool. And I don't know, do you think that was Beethoven's goal? Was to get people amped? I don't know. The story behind this, the kind of myth legend, is that he said that this symphony, the opening, was fate knocking at the door. Oh, because yes. he was going deaf, right? And oh, so Oh no, that's upsetting. And then this was like what he wrote, he was debating killing himself because <sighs> he was going deaf and he's a musician and that's a horrible thing for a musician, but then what a downer name. That's why but the whole symphony ends really triumphant oh, because he decides he's gonna, to like, live. power through. Yeah, and he lives for the sake of art, right? Yeah, I totally... The whole High Gallenstadt Testament and all that. I'm into it. Love Beethoven. Well, folks, we are two bottles in, um, and we could talk about them. Nah. But I don't really want to. Yeah, they're Um, they're unremarkable. One is an expressive blend of Cab, Syrah, and Petit Verdot, and the other one, who even knows, (laughs) says on the label that it is perfect for parties and great with food. So it's a (laughs) Zweigelt. Mm-hmm. Very Austrian. Great with food. Yeah. <laughs> and in case you, you somehow missed it, in this episode we're talking about Beethoven. Beethoven. Ludwig von Beethoven. And you know, I learned... Oh, that was lovely. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, I, won't, I won't do it better. I learned not that long ago <laughs> that the that the von in his That's name... Cool comes from the Dutch. I was the one that told you that. You were. What? I was a no, part what? of that. Yes. So so Ludwig von Beethoven, mm-hmm. he's known in kind of as this big figure in German romantic music, mm-hmm. but the von in his name, mm-hmm. V-O-N, actually comes from the Dutch. Because if it was German, it would be V-A-N. Oh. Von, but, or fun, but it is von. Yeah. And in Dutch, this means... Kyle? Oh, I, I don't know oh. the meaning. I'm just more about like... Kyle? It, be, it means that somewhere in his family, the family was knighted. Oh, you're oh. right, you're right. Well, the yeah. thing that turned me on to it was the, the double E being A, Beethoven. Beethoven. Like the Dutch word for C is Z, Z, mm-hmm. or E-E. Z, E-E. Like um, Z. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, so that double E takes on the A sound. Beethoven. And so that's why we have oh. Beethoven. So that was in a conversation about random things having to do with Beethoven. Right. That was, I kind of came to that realization, although it's not like that's new information. 
people. I, it's new yeah. to me. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's interesting, it interesting. because he's like a German composer Dessert. with mm. a very Dutch name. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Good stuff. So what I will admit, I know that we're talking about Beethoven. Yep. But I don't know what aspect. Or is this going to be a general thing? Are we going into a certain area of his life and times? There's something very specific. We're going to talk, talk about, about um, musicological mystery. Yes. What? Dun, dun, dun. Like, do we need to get into it? Do Let's we get to... into it. Let's jump mm-hmm. right into it. So we're going to talk about the Immortal Beloved. Uh, the Immortal Beloved in German is Unsterbliche, no, Unsterbliche Geliebte. Yes. Unsterbliche Geliebte. Um, and the Immortal Beloved is a mystery woman uh, who Beethoven wrote a love letter to on the 6th and 7th of July in 1812. Mm. This unsent letter eventually ended up in the Berlin, Berlin State Library, where you can actually still go and see it today. It consists <laughs> of three parts. But it's a big... Uh, music historian mystery because nobody knows who this woman is and there are bazillions of theories and we're going to get into some of them today as uh, to who is this all-important immortal beloved did the immortal beloved inspire musical composition do we think well we think so we think but so. we we don't really know like he wrote that song cycle on defana geliebt right on mm-hmm. defana which is to the distant beloved i think and so we think that she did, but it's just such a mystery because the letter was never sent, and we don't know who it was. Mm-hmm. And wow, so. you know, Beethoven never married, so this is That's, potentially, you know, the love of his life. And that was going to be my question. Well, this I have a, a like a translation of the, I do too. the letter. Elspeth does <laughs> too. Guys. I thought I would. It's so beautiful. It's nice. Read from the the. The very first thing that he writes. Okay. And then can I read from the very last thing that he yeah, writes? Yeah. Well, we should say that for the end. The last thing okay, he writes. Okay. Okay. All right. So this is July 6th in the morning. He writes, My angel, my all, my own self. Only a few words today, and that too with pencil with yours. Only till tomorrow is my lodging definitely fixed. What abominable waste of time in such things. Why this deep grief where necessity speaks? Can our love persist otherwise than through sacrifices, than by not demanding everything? Canst thou change it, that thou art not entirely mine, I not entirely thine? O God, look into beautiful nature and compose your mind to the inevitable. Love demands everything and is quite right, so it is for me with you, for you with me. Only you forget so easily that I must live for you and you for me. Were we quite united, you would notice this painful feeling as little as I should. We should probably soon meet. Even today I cannot communicate my remarks to you, which during these days I made about my life. Were our hearts close together, I should probably not make any such remarks. My bosom is full to tell you much. There are moments when I find that speech is nothing at all. Brighten up, remain true, and only treasure my all as I to you. The rest the gods must send, what must be for us and shall. You are faithful, Ludwig. Wow. Mm. Why didn't he send a letter? <laughs> Actually, I don't know why it never got sent. Mm-hmm. That's. I mean, he obviously there was a. He alluded to it in the letter. He said, "Even today, I can't communicate with you." So there's some reason why he couldn't 
send out the letter that day. Maybe she's married. But the letter is in three mm-hmm. parts. Mm-hmm. And so he writes one in the morning and one in the evening. And, and then on the morning of the next day. The morning of the next day. Man. Mm-hmm. So sounds, who is this woman? Sounds like he was kind of bored. Or maybe he was just... No. no. You're right. He was so passionate that it's all he could think about. Maybe. So there are a lot of theories as to who this woman is. Mm-hmm. Um, I can talk a little bit about the two candidates that are the most likely, according to scholars, but Naomi, do you want to jump in with some of the, the women that have been sort of bandied about over the years that turned out to okay, be so total crap? Okay, so first let's just list all of the women that have been possible candidates. Sure. So the two most likely, which we will get into in a few minutes, mm-hmm. are... Anthony Brentano mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Josephine Brunswick. Mm. But then the other people that have been suggested are Julie or Julietta Giuicchiardi, uh, Teresa Malfatti, Anna Maria Erdori, and Bettina Brentano, and also apparently others besides this. But it's been very difficult for scholars to come to any sort of agreement, at least throughout history. How are there so many options? Well, because the letter was never sent, mm-hmm. and basically scholars, all they had to go off of initially was, like, who were basically all the possible women... Like, in the area in his at life that time in 1812. ...that he could have feasibly had contact with, right? Are, are any or all of these women married at the time? Some of them are, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's two women that are kind of the most... Po- prominent possible mm-hmm. people, right? And there's also a lot of analysis that's done on the letter itself. Um, and there was lots of scholars that went into huge amounts of research to try and deduce who this was. And so there's a biography that was written um, by a man named Schindler who named Julie Giuicchiardi as the immortal beloved. So you have to understand that like over time there's all kinds of people who have claimed they know who mm-hmm. she is, mm-hmm. right? But then another scholar, uh, Tellenbach, wrote about how he thought it was her, or he came in contact with another woman through his her cousin, Franz von Brunswick, um, that, may, that Franz von Brunswick may have suggested Julietta to Schindler, this original biographer, um, in order to sustain uh, distract suspicion away from his sister, Josephine Brunswick. Hmm. Um, and then there's memoirs that have been written and that sort of thing. How was the letter found? Was it, he, he died well, and it was He died and it was passed on to a friend of his mm-hmm. who then left it to his sister who then left it to the Berlin State Library in like 1860. And that's that's where it is. That's Crazy. So yeah, at that time, you can look at it in today. So they just I think match it's like up. ten pages long too, like yeah, yeah, yeah. in totality. They all match, written in pencil. Mm-hmm. They match up the handwriting with other things that they know were his yep. and they're able to verify. It's verified that it's his, yeah. Also, watermarking is a big part of this too, mm-hmm. because the paper that he would have had, the publishers at that time were known for putting their watermarks in the paper and so there's a lot of dating of things that have been done for both Beethoven and Mozart based on watermarking. Hmm. So you can kind of tell what public or what paper manufacturer they're getting their paper from and what city they were affiliated with and that sort of thing. Wow. So it's 
pretty amazing. Isn't that nuts that at that point in time, the paper manufacturers were like, oh, we need our watermark on this paper. Instead yeah, Instead of just yeah. being like, here's the paper. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Apparently, so they've done, as I said, heavy analysis on this, and there's a line in it that they say was originally he wrote, I must go to bed, and then crossed it out, and then changed it to go to bed with me, which heavily suggests that <clears throat> that their their love was consummated. Scandal. Oh. Scandal. Scandal. Yeah. Huh. So, so what's the deal with these ladies? Do we know? And we have names. Do we know anything about them? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, Anthony Brentano, okay. who was a super popular option for a long time in the mm-hmm. 19, 1950s. Super hot. Uh, sure. <laughs> so you don't know? Because like Beethoven was banging at that time. Yeah. Was he? No. Oh. <laughs> How old was he? I have no idea. Um, well, this was, you said 1812. Mm-hmm. Right. When was Beethoven born? Beethoven was born. We'll ask the internet. Why are you going to make us look like idiots? Because we don't know I'm Beethoven's not, dates. Guys, I'm just... 1770. 1770, so he was 42. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to paint a picture mm-hmm. for everyone. For the listener. Yeah. All right. Okay, so, so 42, and he was not attractive? He we was not super ugly. I feel like he was. Yeah, he had that like kind of messy hair, wavy hair. Have you have you seen the portrait of him where he's like in the sitting in the woods and there's like a harp by his feet and he's he's like his hand out like nope. that. Nope, I'm not seeing. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, it's in like every music history textbook, and huh. he's young, and he has blackish hair. He was not terrible looking. I'm gonna look it up right now. He's super hot. Oh, man, <laughs> I wouldn't call him super hot. Bang in. And then later there's. Yeah. You'd hit I it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Harp. I don't know. I've been to his apartment in Vienna, one of the many. Jeez, you've been to all these guys' homes. I, I do enjoy that kind of traveling. Yeah. I've been to the Pasqualotti house, which is technically not his apartment. It's the apartment across the hall because someone lives in his apartment, like legitimately rents it or oh, owns cool. it. That's cool. Yeah. Very nice. So. I think we were hearing about one of his possible ladies. I can do it. Right. So the Immortal Beloved, there are several different candidates. And one of the most popular choices is... A woman named Antony Brentano. Antony was the daughter of an Austrian diplomat, and she ended up married to a very prosperous merchant named Franz. Um, In about 1955, there were these two French scholars, Jean and Brigitte Massin, and they noted that Antony Brentano was present in Prague and Carlsbad at the time that the letter was written, and they proposed her as a possible candidate for the immortal beloved. Um... They argued that she was the best option because Beethoven and Antony, since she returned to Vienna, were on very friendly terms. And in the summer of 1812, he lived in the same hotel in Franzbad as the Brentanos. And uh, that same year, he had dedicated to her daughter, Maxa, a one-movement trio. Um, The argument against her being Beethoven's immortal beloved was the fact that Beethoven had a very deep, strong, lasting friendship with her husband, Franz. Mm. Um, 
And also, he borrowed a great deal of money from him, and so they thought that Beethoven probably wouldn't be like a dipping twice from the well, as it were. Um, and they said that the many letters he wrote to Antony proved that a true and deep, but due to mutual restraint, nevertheless, only formal friendship existed between them, and Beethoven always seemed to perceive Franz, Antony, and their children as an inseparable unity. The evidence for this, obviously, is extremely circumstantial at best, but... I think from about the 1950s to like 2000. Yeah, she was. A she was like the candidate. candidate for the immortal beloved, basically because of her proximity to him and the fact that she just happened to sort of be in the area at the same time. That's mm. all it took. That's all it took. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like based off of what you just said, though, it like seems super like he circumstantial. Evidence. Totally respected her marriage and, and her life. family. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But huh. she was one of the options. So even like Sorry, fi- it's not more scandalous 15 than years ago, people were like, oh, yeah, totally her. Yeah. So what happened? Why did it? Why did it change? Yeah. Okay, well, before well, she became the popular candidate, another candidate that was strongly considered mm-hmm. was Josephine Brunswick. Yeah. Why was she considered? Proximity? Partially. All you had to do was just like hang out with Beethoven once or twice, and then you could have been this lady. All right, so no, exactly. let me give you a little bit of background about Josephine. Um, so she was a countess. Mm-hmm. Uh, she grew up enjoying education by a private teacher. She studied lots of languages and classical literature. She was one of uh, four I, children. I just I like how you say she was a countess. We go. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, of course, countess. Yeah, mm, yes, countess. Um, so, out of all four of the siblings, Josephine turned out to be the most talented musician. Um, the family admired the music of Beethoven very much, and at that time, around the 1790s, he'd established himself as the star pianist in Vienna. Um, so, she started taking piano lessons, I believe, mm. from She's Beethoven. Already, she, to me, she already seems more likely. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. The mm-hmm. whole teacher... People thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. Um, so she, you know, got married to a count. He died. And so she was a widow at a very, very young age. I'm not sure when. I apologize. Um, so she and Beethoven actually did start a relationship. And this is documented. There are, are mm-hmm. letters, about 15 of them that exist, um, that are very passionate love letters between um, Beethoven and Josephine. Hmm. Her sister, Teresa Brunswick, who was at one point another candidate considered to be the immortal beloved, actually wrote in her diary that she felt that Josephine and Ludwig were meant for each other, mm-hmm. that they were soulmates. Wow. So mm-hmm. uh, Beethoven composed uh, a song to her, An die Hoffnung, which means to hope. Uh, he dedicated a piano piece for her. Um, and so they had this sort of very deep relationship, but the family was not down with it. Mm-hmm. Why? At all. Well, they were nobility. They, uh, you know, and while he was famous, he was still he was a musician. Not. He was an artist. Yes. You know, he didn't have a title or anything uh, like that. Um, can, should we listen? Do, do Are there any recordings of... The music. Yeah, why don't we listen to a recording of a little bit of Andy Hoffman? Here we go. Here we go. Wie du so gern in Heilge 
durch den Gram verschleierst, dir eine zarte Seele Her family increased the pressure to terminate the relationship, and Josephine, because Beethoven was a commoner, couldn't really contemplate ever marrying him um, for the reason that legally, if she married him, she would lose the guardianship of her children, who were aristocrats. What? Yeah, that was the law back then. Would she lose her, like she would no longer be a countess? Or did that already happen just when her husband died? No, she was still a countess. Um, If she married Beethoven, she wouldn't be anymore, but more importantly, she would lose her children so then who would her children go to like her her, fa- her parents i would imagine or like his or his like, family i don't know huh. yeah yeah but that was the rule back then so in 1807 she uh sort of bent yielded to the pressure and she withdrew from beethoven and that's what happened so why is she not a not the considered candidate anymore well, for a little while, they didn't really know much beyond this kind of circumstantial evidence of her taking lessons and that type of thing. And also, she was married to other people. Um, yeah, so she, she did end up getting uh, remarried. But mm-hmm. like I said, in 1807, they sort of she pulled away and the relationship ended. And you remember that the letter was written in 1812. Yeah. However... Dun, um, dun, dun. She went back to Vienna and she asked uh, Beethoven to give her children piano lessons. And that's oh. how they sort of reconnected. 
And also, she's totally the immortal. Beloved. And also, no, she if was I, she was there uh-huh. in Prague at the right time. I mean, it's more than likely since they already had a relationship, and this is the only one, to my knowledge, where there is an established relationship. Unless I'm right. wrong. If and, I had and to also, money. another really important fact that for a long time held her in like a really strong position was that. Literally nine months after these letters were written, she had a baby. Oh. And it was documented that she was estranged from her husband at that time. So he was not there during the time that Mm -hmm. the letter was written. I still, yeah, I don't know why anybody would say that she's not the likely candidate. Well, for a little while, people had all these other ideas about other people. But then actually in 2002 new evidence was discovered that kind of firmly established her as by far the leading candidate. Oh, so mm-hmm. she so she was the leading candidate and, and she then wasn't, she wasn't and, and now, now she, she is. is. Yep. Yep. So mm-hmm. a scholar by the name of Rita Steblin who did a ton of work on Beethoven and so a professor of mine from undergraduate is really good friends with Rita Steblin. They like nice. go way back to their college days and apparently um like Rita's done a ton of work just in archives and that type of thing throughout Europe. And she, amongst discovering like new evidence related to the immortal beloved, she also has this portrait of Beethoven that she, this is all according to this old professor of mine who said that Rita discovered this, what she thinks is a portrait of young Beethoven that she's not revealing and keeping for her retirement. <laughs> so, nice. But maybe. Shit. Um, that's all hearsay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been a while. Right. But... She has done very important work in a lot of research related to the Immortal Beloved. And so she kind of reestablished Josephine as the primary candidate in 2002. And there are basically two important things that are related to this. Uh And so one, like more proof that Josephine's husband, Baron Stuckelberg, was away from home at the time of July 1812 when when the letters were written. And uh, there's proof that Josephine wrote actually confirming that he had abandoned her by that point. And then she was, like, deliberating about her future. And she also expressed clear intentions in June of 1812 to go to Prague and in order to keep her children. And then... Um, basically confirming all of these other circumstantial things that we sort of knew. So her mm. presence in Prague and her mm-hmm. estrangement from her husband. Totally. Yeah. Do we know, um, did, did Beethoven compose any music for or about any of the other women? I don't think so. Because I feel like if, if there's anything we've learned about all of these composers, yeah. is that mm-hmm. the people that they feel most passionately about, mm-hmm. they write music for. And he wrote music for her. She's the immortal beloved. I mean, maybe she's just a little in a little bit of everything because he was so inspired by her from that point onward. Right? Oh. Like, she's the muse. But maybe I will say that actually there is a song cycle written for mezzo soprano. <gasps> Elspeth. That, yeah, Elspeth it was it. written for Elspeth. Yes, it was. Um, it's I'm by a, a Canadian traveler. composer, James K. Wright. And the. The song cycle actually sets parts of this letter, and it's called "Briefa an die Unsterbliche Geliebte," and so it is for a piano, for mezzo soprano and piano trio, and so we can try and find that to listen to a little bit 
bit of it, but uh, it's a work inspired by this whole story, one could say, even though we don't know specific works by Beethoven that were definitely inspired by the immortal beloved. Yes, let's listen to some of that. All right. Right now. What's the name of the composer? Uh, James K. Wright with a W. Super beautiful. Toad's Beats. Very beautiful. Inspired by a beautiful letter. That's right. And before we end the episode, we should mention that there's also a fantastically horrible movie <gasps> titled yes. Immortal Beloved. Starring Gary Oldman as yeah. Beethoven. Made in 1994. Oh, and God. so this was written and directed by Bernard Rose. And it portrays a completely inaccurate and plausible theory of the immortal beloved nice. the director wrote it right this was his, his idea take. Yes. his take on the whole what story what was so inaccurate and terrible about it well basically the story sets up beethoven's sister-in-law johanna rice mm-hmm. as being the immortal beloved what? and the reason that it frames this is that Beethoven was in a long legal battle with her for like parental rights or whatever, or custody, one should say, over his nephew Carl von Beethoven. Mm -hmm. And so the movie is trying to portray that like, even though in the movie it's set up that Carl is his nephew, that 
Carlos is actually, actually his, his son. Kid. His oh. son. So yeah, with Joanna. But it's been proven that that's entirely impossible. Fantasy. Slash not true. How yeah. do they prove that? I don't know. I'm it's, not... an, it's an interesting tale. It is an interesting tale. But wasn't it that Beethoven took over sort of Carl's education mm-hmm. and saw in him as like, thought that Carl would be this musical prodigy and so he... Basically, the only way to frame this is, like, rode him hard to the point yeah. where Carl, <laughs> Carl tried to commit suicide. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really sad. It is really sad. I used wow. a terrible phrase, but it, it is really sad. Carl mm. does not want to be a huh. musician. <laughs> because year? Beethoven never married, and he never had right. any children that he legitimately claimed. That mm-hmm. of. And so Carl was, like, his... His descendant, his right? One his shot. his mm-hmm. one shot at some kind of legacy after himself yeah. through the next generation. Mm-hmm. And so the theory is that he really wanted Carl to be like the next him, right? right? And what year did he officially go deaf? Do you know? I can't remember the exact year, but it's around the time that he wrote the Fifth Symphony. So. Mm-hmm. Huh. But the, I can't that remember. That was after the letter, right? Or was it before? Because he, wait, he died in 1815, or was it after that? 1827 is the year that Beethoven died. Ah, okay. Yeah. Do we, so... Beethoven's Fifth Symphony is written between 1804 and 1808. Oh, so the he was... The Letter is written in 1812. 1812. So he was deaf when he wrote the letter. I guess so, yeah. Or almost deaf, almost yes. Deaf. Huh. Yeah. And, Interesting. I mean, we know the kind of theory about Beethoven's deafness, right? Huh. What? I'm not sure. You, you're not sure? No, Why don't tell, you tell us. Me? Okay, so I haven't read up on this in a little while, so there could be new theories, but basically one of the reigning theories is that Beethoven had syphilis. Syphilis. Everyone had syphilis. And so it composes disease. Yes. And so as a way of numbing the pain of syphilis or kind of dealing with the pain, he drank a lot of wine and Oh, wait, no, that's his theory of his death. Is that, well, the theory is that his deafness was caused by the syphilis. It's kind of like a side effect of a syphilis near the ringing in his ears, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then to try and numb the pain of his growing deafness and everything, they say that he drank a lot of wine and that the wine was stored in lead lined barrels. Mm-hmm. And so they think that De- Beethoven ultimately died of lead poisoning brought on by oh, drinking oh wine in order to deal with the pain of the syphilis, which is, oh, Bummer. it's also horrible. How old was he when he died? Well, he was born in 1770, and he died in 1827, so do the math. Yeah, 57. Yeah. Not, I mean, for that time, that's, that's not yeah. so young, but it's yeah, also but not still, so old. Yeah, but he was in a mm-hmm. lot of pain. And yeah. That's awful. Wow. Well, at least he had this wonderful love affair with he, his immortal beloved. Immortal beloved. Yeah, and I'd like to end the episode with uh, the final part of the letter. Yes, please. So this is, good morning on the 7th of July, 1812. Even in bed, my ideas yearn towards you, my immortal beloved, here and there joyfully, then again sadly, awaiting from fate whether it will listen to us. I can only live either altogether with you or not at all. Yes, I've determined to wander about for so long far away until I can fly into your arms and call myself quite at home with you, can send my soul enveloped by yours into the realm of spirits. Yes, I regret it must be. You will get over it all the more as you know my faithfulness to you. 
Never another one can own my heart. Never, never. Oh God, why must one go away from what one loves so, and yet my life in W, as it is now, is a miserable life. Your love made me, made me the happiest and unhappiest at the same time. At my actual age, I should need some continuity, sameness of life. Can that exist under our circumstances? Angel, I just hear that the post goes out every day and must close, therefore, so that you get the L at once. Be calm, love me, today, yesterday. What longing and tears for you, you, my life, my all, farewell. Oh, go on loving me, never doubt the faithless heart of your beloved L. Ever thine, ever mine, ever ours. Wow. It's a pretty substantial uh, difference from the first letter. You know, right? <laughs> yeah. Really, though, it's, it's like there's a bit of an arc there. Like, clearly there was something keeping him away from. I just love the way that it ends. Beloved. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. As a way with words. And a way with music. And a way with music. And maybe we'll play out with some, what? Symphony Five, or we're well, we came in to with five. We came with five. Piano Concerto Number Five, Second oh, Movement. Five. We're five. All right. We're going to end with five, which some people think was written for her. Ah. Hmm. Okay. That's really nice. And on that note, I'm Elspeth. I'm Naomi. And I'm Kyle. Thank you for listening to Opera After Dark. Bye.
Hello. Is it, t- it must be 10 o'clock. It yeah. is 10 o'clock. Yeah, it's on, yeah, it's on a timer. I'll go turn one. <laughs> I got really scared for a second. Me too. What is that? I didn't realize the lights were on a timer. I kind of have to pee. I'm going to go do that. Okay. This episode's going great, guys. Sing once again for me a strange duet. That voice which calls to me and screams my name. Do I dream again? first musical I ever saw. Was it? I was seven years old. Seven years old? And it scared the crap out of me. Oh. I had a hard time with mirrors for a long time. Oh my goodness, that's really serious. You know what I mean though? I guess so, Because yeah. he comes out of the mirror. Yeah, I guess that's true. And I was seven, so like obviously I had nightmares, but then also like going into like a bathroom where there's a mirror, <laughs> like I had to turn on the light before I entered so I would like reach and oh. turn the light on and then go in. 